was a kid and got to watch Mr. Rogers going up and got to see him put on his sweater and change his shoes out, the one thing I was always amazed with was this. Every single week, he allowed us to do things like pause our lives. By the way, like the socks. You're welcome. That was for you, whoever was clapping. For those that weren't, you have bad tastes. And those that clapped, equally so. But each week, Fred Rogers put into his planning time for nothing. It drove his producers crazy. They hated it. They called that dead air. And the worst thing you can do in broadcasting is have dead air. Fred Rogers loved it. Perhaps it was because growing up there was simply so much time for nothing. He grew up a pudgy kid to a wealthy family, didn't have many friends growing up, and so he spent a lot of time imagining, a lot of time in quiet. He went to school, and while he was at school, he saw television, and he began to see what was put before children, things like slapstick comedy. You know, it's the moment where a man would walk into a courtroom and Someone would say something to him, and instead of being a, an adult, he would throw a pie at his face. We all laughed. Fred Rogers didn't. He thought it was horrible. How can we ever teach children how to act when all they see is pies being thrown? It broke his heart, and so he prayed about it. God, what would you have me do to change the world? And God invited Fred to television. You imagine going home and telling your parents, you know, the parents you had told that you felt called into ministry. They were so proud their son was going to be a minister. And he went home and said, I know what God's called me to do to minister. I'm going to be on TV. Doesn't quite sound like a calling. It sounds like a dream. Maybe you're dreaming that dream. You know, one day I'm going to be on TV. For most of us, the only chance we'll get to be on television is if we committed a crime and cops came to Amarillo. But for Fred Rogers, he started small. And God changed what Fred would do. He made, gave him opportunities that, frankly, weren't really there. He gave him opportunities when people wanted to cancel he gave him opportunities when people said it was too dull, too mundane, too slow for children. So I was reading an article the other day about a woman who was going to write for an op-ed piece. Um, and her assignment was to write about Fred Rogers. The movie was coming out. Um, and so she was challenged to write about Fred Rogers. And so what she did is she took as much of his show as she could back home. And she decided to watch it in her bedroom because uh, she thought if she started showing it in her living room, her kids would get bored with it and make her turn it off. So she went to her bedroom and started watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. It, it sparked nostalgia in her. And as she was watching, she realized her children were standing at the door, and she said, what do you need? And they said, we need help with homework. So she said, come on in. And she began to help them with homework. And as she was talking to them, she said, hey, hey, hey. You know how we talk to our kids? I'm, I'm saying this, and they're like, who is this? And she goes, well, this is Mr. Rogers. He's my neighbor. And they sat and watched that episode, the next one. The next one, the next one. And they decided that they would spend the weekend watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and they did so, episode after episode. They did it all weekend long. You would think that at some point the kids would have gotten tired of seeing a man talking about how a will works and goes like this, it goes like this. 
That's how Mr. Rogers would work. He wouldn't go, do, 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 okay, moving on. He spent time. So they finished watching. She wrote her piece. And one day, one of her kids came home and said, you know what I want to do this weekend? I want to spend time with your friend, Mr. Rogers. That was this year. I think we miss the fact that if we're really being honest, we want some peace. And that's what Fred Rogers brought to childhood. Last week, I told you that Fred Rogers, one of his main thoughts was the greatest gift that we can give the generation that we're in is quiet and chaos. And so I want to do that again this week with you for just a few seconds. I want us to pause and really be quiet before the Lord. I want you just to take time right where you are to be quieted for a few moments. No distractions, uh, nothing playing, not a preacher talking, but true quiet before the Lord. Just to allow him to speak to you this morning. I'm going to give you a few moments and then I'll pray and we'll begin our time of sermon together. But would you just be still before the Lord for a few seconds? Father God, we repent because we're so lost that we feel like the only times you can speak to us is through the valley of the shadow of death. You're the same God that leads us beside still waters. You're the God that restores our souls. Lord, because of that, we need to remind ourselves that in the midst of our busyness, in the midst of the loud um, roar of the world, we need moments of quiet with you. We need moments where you can speak to our hearts and where we can listen. God, we need moments where you have our undivided attention. Lord, the enemy wants to make us noisy. Because if, we, if we're noisy, we feel like we're busy. And if we're busy, we feel like we're doing something. But God, remind us to be still and know that you are God. Lord, we need moments with you in quiet. So speak to us, Lord. Speak to our hearts today. And let us be changed by you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Each week, Fred Rogers would sit in his fictional home. And at some given moment, he would let us enter a land of make-believe. But to do so, he couldn't just allow for ordinary to take place. No, he would sit by his bay window, and he would introduce us to trolley, the neighborhood trolley. He had this little switch down here. I asked if Scott could do that for me, but I don't think he's an electric technician. Um, that would have been really cool. Just ching, ching. Anyways, and it would roll in, and it would stop behind Fred Rogers. And he would talk about why we needed to go to the land of make-believe. On that particular day, he would have already have introduced what we were going to talk about with Mr. Rogers. He would mention something like King Friday is talking about this, or Daniel Tiger is going to share about this, or the Mr. You know, whoever, whatever character was going to be there was already going through something like that. So let's go to the land of make-believe. And see what happens next. And the trolley would go through that little magical hole in the side of Mr. Rogers' house. And the camera would fade to black intentionally. 
and up would come the scene of the land of make-believe. You know, Fred Rogers voiced most of the characters in the land of make-believe. When he was young, he would play with puppets because he didn't have anybody else to talk to. When he was in college, he learned how to use a puppet to entertain. And in his young days of television, he had a lot of characters that he would introduce to the world. One in particular, Daniel Tiger, would go with him through the rest of his ministry to children on television. Daniel was his inner self, the quiet child that he was. All the questions and doubts and fears he had were exercised through Daniel. All of what he wanted to be, the strength that he wanted to convey, the the authority he wanted to invest came out in King Friday. Everything about Fred lived in the land of make-believe through his emotions. And he felt like he could convey to children a little bit easier through a puppet than he could through his living room. And it all came through trolley. When we come to Christmas each year, we're given an opportunity to remind ourselves of the wonder of the story. About how God would step down from heaven in the form of Jesus Christ. And come as a baby. And he would dwell with us. I mean, it may seem trivial at this point in your life. You may have heard that a hundred times. But maybe today you would let it be fresh again. That God would come and be with us. We wouldn't have a God like Buddha who would sit on ivory towers. We, we wouldn't have a, a God like Allah who would just be too big to touch. We wouldn't have foreign gods. We, we wouldn't have a God that would turn blue and you would have to worship like him and act like him. No, we would have a God that would come and look and act like us. He would experience every emotion. He'd experience every trial, every heartache, every pain. So that when we call upon the name of Jesus, he knows what we're going through. When you pray and seek his face, He knows exactly that emotion. So when you come to him and you're frustrated, he gets it. When you come to him and you're angry, he knows what anger feels like. When you come to him and you're afraid, he understands it. He isn't a God that just hovers about. He understands you and I. He's been there. He's done that. And he knows you. That's powerful. And that's the story of Christmas. God gave himself at Christmas. So I want to go with you today. Last week, if you remember, we started with the story of John and why that's important. We had to know that John was someone that would come before Jesus in the wilderness proclaiming his name. That would have been prophesied about the coming Messiah. And today we want to talk about Mary and Joseph. Because they equally had to be substantially prophesied about. Because they had to be the right people at the right time for Jesus to be who he said he'd be. Either he is absolutely who God called him to be or he's a charlatan. And that's what we have to identify. That's what you have to identify about Jesus today. Let me just give you an answer to the end of the test. Jesus is who he says he was, regardless what you say, regardless what I say. He is Jesus, and he will be without us. He always has been. From the beginning, Jesus was. So let's just talk for a second before we get to our text today about the prophecies about Jesus. Because this matters, and and we could spend... A whole year on prophecies about Jesus, identifying one at a time and going through Scripture. But I want to give you a few that I want you to see that prove themselves out in the early part of Jesus' story. Of all the things he had to be. The first is this. Isaiah 7.14 says that Jesus would be born to a virgin. This is an anomaly. This isn't ordinary. 
as much as the media would like you to believe uh, through just fictional stories, this does not happen. It does not happen. This is God-ordained. This is God-breathed. This is God's doing. So Isaiah 7.14 says that he had to be born of a virgin. Genesis 49.10 tells us this, that he would have to come from the tribe of Judah. Why would that be important? Because there's a lot of family lines. And he would have to be from that tribe. Man, it is powerful. Genesis 49.10 tells us about this. Genesis is early. It's the beginnings book. What about Jeremiah 23.5? It tells us that Jesus would come from the family of David. Now, I want you to know for a moment that being called from the family of David was something. That it, you just couldn't throw the name out, oh, I'm from the, the family of David. You had to be from there, and if you said that, you had to prove it. You couldn't just be from his line. You had to prove it to someone to say it. So Jeremiah 23, 5 is going to say, Jesus would have to prove it. And then Micah 5, 2. Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Here's why that's significant. A Messiah should be born in Jerusalem. You know why? Because the people of Israel could be okay with that. But Bethlehem, that's a sheep herder's town. That's where nobodies are born. I mean, man, you just say, hey, I was born in Bethlehem. People are like, and? I'm sorry. I, that's the significance of this moment. For God to call out a town that no one wanted to be born in, that he would send his son to be born in, all of a sudden Bethlehem changed a little bit. It got something added to its name. All the time when concerts come in or people from out of town that we know come into town, you know what they always say about Amarillo? Oh, that's the place with a 72-ounce steak, isn't it? And you go, yeah. And they go, do you eat there much? And we all go, nope. And they're like, well, why not? And you're like, because I don't want to deal with all those people. And you go in, and you're like, I don't eat a 72-ounce steak. Have y'all ever watched somebody eat the 72-ounce steak? That's disgusting, right? You're like, oh, oh. And they, they let everybody see you do it, right? They put them up on the pedestal. They say, everybody in the place, this person's about to eat way too much really quick. Everybody watch. You don't want to watch. You want to eat. That's like watching Animal Planet while you eat. That just shouldn't happen. You're eating, you look up, and you go, well, I'm done. That was, that was fun. Good luck with your gluttony. By the way, did y'all see, I, I think she's 35, 36, that, that competitive eater ate it twice. Ha <laughs> ha! That's not even in the notes, y'all. That's just good. That's good to talk about. Don't, don't do that. You don't need that in your life. Breathe. Eat a salad, you know? Why don't we have those competitions? Um, but here's the thing about the prophecies of Jesus. Um, there's numerous, but there's 300 core prophecies that Jesus would have to fulfill to be the promised Messiah. He would have to fulfill these 300. Now, there's several prophecies that all point to these 300. 300 separate things, numerous about them, but 300 poignant things. Here's the problem with just 300 would-be prophecies. For one man to fulfill them would be a one in a trillion to the 13th power chance. One in a trillion to the 13th power. I thought about writing that out, but I can't even write a trillion out. Much less to the 13th power. Because some of these prophecies are connected to the next prophecy. So you had to do this one and then that one. And you couldn't flip them around. So you just imagine Jesus would have to be completely who he says he was or he couldn't be. I want you to know this. He wasn't the first man to claim this. 
there was a lot of wannabes messiahs. A lot of guys that claimed to be the son of God. God in flesh. Come to save the nation. But could not fulfill even close to three prophecies. I mean, just being born in Bethlehem, right? Got you through one step. But then you missed a mark. How many men could say they were born of a virgin? That's a hard step. So I just want you to capture before we get to the text today all the buildup of who this Jesus would have to be to be the true Messiah that was promised. I mean, for him to be all these things, this one and one trillionth to the thirteenth power probability would make him the anomaly of anomalies. He would be something that we would have to go to the land of make-believe to believe Except we don't. He was reality. And the greatest part about that is this. He didn't hide anything. So let's deal with those four key things that we started with. That he has to be born of a virgin. Has to come from the tribe of Judah. Has to come from the line of David. And he has to be born in Bethlehem. Because all of these things will seem strange until you line up those things. So to do that, let's open the scriptures together. Let's start with Luke chapter 1. Remember, we started there this last week. We started with, um, with John, uh, and, and we started to work our way through. And then I told you, we're going to skip a chunk and come back to it. Here's that chunk. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. We're just through Elizabeth believing that God has done a great work in her life. In her old age, she is now pregnant with a son. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. She was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, don't be afraid. By the way, anytime an angel speaks to someone in scripture, they always say these words, don't be afraid. You know why? You are. So when we just talk about things like, God may you send your presence, angels make us afraid and want to fall onto the ground like prophets did. And so in this moment, here's this young woman who we believe scholars are teaching us is in teenage years, who an angel of God appears to, and she's like, what am I about to hear? And he has to tell her, I know what's going on. Don't be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. That sentence right there is something we should pray in our lives. God, may I find anything of favor with you. It's powerful. That tells you about who Mary was. Remember, we read early that God saw uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah, and they were people who he could trust in, people that he believed were holy and who were seeking his face. And now here's Mary, someone that he has found favor in. Verse 31, now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you'll name him Jesus and you'll be great, and you'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, listen, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she will conceive a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who is called childless. You see where the connective tissue is now? For nothing, listen to verse 37, for nothing will be impossible for God. And so what does Mary say in, in rebuttal? I'm the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. And then the angel left. Number one thing that Jesus would have to be. Jesus was born to Mary, who was a virgin. 
This is an impossible task, but one that God would make happen through the life of Mary. This has to be or Jesus cannot be the Messiah. Without this core piece, Jesus is not Jesus born of God. Impossible. He can't be unless this is. And so he checks that one box out of 300. But listen to what happens next. Remember we said that he has to come from the line of Judah and from the family of David, right? So let's look at Matthew together. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. We get this account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Why is it important that Matthew starts his book like this? It's important because people would question who Jesus really was unless he could prove it. He has to prove he's from the line of David. He has to prove he's from the tribe of Judah. He has to prove he has connective tissue back to the earliest forefather to current date. And so Matthew goes, okay, let's do this. So here we go. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac fathered Jacob. Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. And Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Aram. Aram fathered Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nation. Nation fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. And Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered King David. I want to stop here because this would not be revolutionary, this first part. They knew this. But we need to hear something about this first part in Scripture. Because we read through family trees so quickly that we miss some amazing things in it. Like this, nation. This man was someone who was counted in the first census in numbers. He walked the desert with Moses. He's not counted in the next one. His son Salmon would have been. He would have walked with Joshua. And who does he marry? Who does Salmon marry but Rahab? Do you all remember who she is? She's the town prostitute who took in the spies from Israel and hid them away. And God blessed. Remember, she said, if y'all leave, please make sure that my family's taken care of. And they made her a promise that she would be blessed because of what she did. And she was. And you know what, who they fathered? Boaz. Remember Boaz in Scripture and Ruth? What an amazing love story right there in Jesus' family line. And who's their son? Obed. Who does Obed have? Jesse. Who does Jesse have? David. Isn't that amazing to think through for a Just think through Scripture for a second. Take it in. Each of these um, crazy family tree lines, amazing brokenness, amazing holiness, all wrapped up in one family. You've got that and I've got that, don't you? Don't you have that crazy uncle in your family? I don't, uncles. If y'all watch this, y'all are all amazing. I love you. You're all great. They're crazy. Um, all right, you ready? David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. Remember that story? Uriah's wife bathing on the top. David pulls her into his home, sleeps so that she becomes pregnant. He kills off Uriah's husband, takes her in as his own. He faces consequences for that sin. That's right here in Jesus' line. Who do they have but Solomon? Solomon fathered Rehoboam. Rehoboam fathered Abijah. Abijah, Asa. Asa, Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, Joram. Joram, Uzziah. Uzziah fathered Jotham. Jotham fathered Ahaz. Ahaz, Hezekiah. Hezekiah, Manasseh. Manasseh fathered Amon. Amon fathered Josiah. Josiah fathered Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile of Babylon. Of these kings, 50% followed after God's heart. The other 50 were corrupt. In Jesus' family line, corruption and holiness. So then we get to Babylon exile. Now, I want you to know this. I try my best to read names correctly. This part of Jesus' family line is jacked up in names. So much so, camera two here, I, I wrote it out phonetically in my Bible. Doesn't mean I'm going to get this right. We're going to try real hard. Y'all ready? It matters. 
It matters what happens next. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah fathered uh, Shelatel. Shelatel fathered Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, Abinab. Yeah, that's terrible. Abiad, sorry. Abiad fathered Eliakim. Eliakim fathered Azor. Azor fathered Zodak. Zodak fathered Akim. Akim fathered Eliad. Eliad fathered Eleazar. Eleazar uh, Matthian, Matthian fathered Jacob. Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who birthed Jesus, who is called the Christ. From Abraham to Jesus, Matthew shows us the family line. Did you see what happens in this family line, though? In verse 2, it says Abraham fathers Isaac, Isaac fathers Jacob, and Jacob fathered Judah. Why does that matter? Because Jesus had to be from what? The tribe of Judah. I wonder if David really thought much about where he came from. I mean, certainly he was consumed with being the king. But I wonder if he ever sat down and went, you know, I'm from the, the tribe of Judah. He was. I wonder if all those kings... They ever thought, you know, I can trace my family line right back to Abraham. They could. I wonder if as time went on, if Azor ever thought, you know, I came from David's family. I wonder if as Jacob fathered Joseph, his son, if he ever told him growing up, did you know that you come from royalty? Certainly that day, as Jesus comes, born of Mary, in a stable, away in a manger. If at that point, if, if Joseph didn't look down and say, did you know? You come from royalty. And you're going to put them all to shame. You are the king of the world. So, Matthew gives us the answer. He gives us the answer to Genesis 49.10. He gives us the answer to Jeremiah 23.5. Because Jesus absolutely was from the tribe of Judah and the family of David. You can prove it in Scripture. Without these two things lining up, had David not been from the tribe of Judah, Jesus could not be the Christ. Couldn't happen. But God was writing the story. Why in the world is Boaz in Scripture? Why, why is that a thing? Why is Ruth in Scripture? Why is Tamar in Scripture? Why list all the kings? Because of Jesus. Why should we read the Old Testament? It's Jesus' family story. God was writing his story. And if you don't know his story, you're missing a piece of him. When I was growing up, we uh, lived in a town called Crosbyton, Texas. My dad worked at a seed company there as an accountant. We were playing as children's ministry down by the falls that's over there. And um, one of my friends threw a Frisbee and it went through kind of a, a water gutter area. I mean, big enough that you could go through. And I had my skateboard with me. So I was like, guys, I got this. And I put the skateboard down and I was pushing with my hands. You know, as a kid, you don't think about spider webs and, you know, snakes or bobcats hiding out in that thing. I could see through a little bit and I was like, oh, I'm good. So I'm going through and, and I grab the skateboard. About the time I grab, uh, or sorry, the, the frisbee, about the time I grab the frisbee on my skateboard, I hear a sound ahead of me. I still don't know what it was. I mean, it could have been the wind for all I know. But it scared me enough that my slow approach in became a quick retreat out. I pushed myself out. I threw the frisbee behind me and I stood up. And about the time I stood up, I forgot that there was a ledge on that drain about this far. Metal. Metal on skull makes an interesting sound. Bang! And my, I kind of went to black for a second. And I opened my eyes up and everybody's just looking at me like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm all right. My head just hurts. 
Yeah, I'm not going to say what that was because there's people that cringe at that. Yes, it was red, like Christmas. <laughs> and then I got scared. My parents were at a friend's house, and so uh, one of our children's ministers put me in her car, and we drove into town, and they dropped me off at this friend's house. And I walked in, and I did what every, like, American boy does when he's confronted with the red stuff and his mother. I cried consistently. I begged her not to take me to the doctor because I didn't want stitches, and she didn't, which is why I act the way I do today. Um, don't laugh at that. Why, why would, of all the things I've said today, that was the big joke. Anyways, um, there's this real moment where you hear the backstory of someone where you realize that even today, I can feel where I hit my head. You have a backstory too. Things that happened in your life, places you've been, stories you could tell, pictures you could show. I mean, my brother Jimmy Phillips preached in the largest church in the world, in China. I've seen the picture of him at that pulpit. It's amazing. It's an amazing story. I mean, we all have backstories. The question is this, do you know Jesus's? Because his story doesn't start in a manger. It starts in Genesis 1. God's writing his story and he's there in Genesis 1. So when we get to Matthew, this is not our first look at Jesus Christ. It's just the first time we get to touch his face. This isn't the last prophecy I want to deal with today. You see, there's a real issue because Joseph is not from Bethlehem. That's not where he lives. So how could Jesus be born there when Joseph doesn't live there? Every year, um, my kids attend San Jacinto Christian Academy. And every year, I get to hear this scripture spoken by the, the little kids of our school. They, they I think, kindergartners? Preschoolers. Preschoolers have a day where their family comes in and the teachers teach the preschoolers Luke chapter 2. And they quote it all together. They do hand motions. It's, I, listen, my wife taught there for forever in the preschool area. And so, I mean, I got to see the kids practice it. And it was like, oh, that's good. But when you're there that night and all the kids are on the stage and you get to hear Luke 2, Spoken from memory by preschoolers. There's this lump that grows in your throat. And, and tears form up in your eyes. Because they see Luke too like we should. The wonder of it. Luke 2 reads like this. In those days there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus. That the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took uh, place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph went up from the town of where? Nazareth in Galilee. That is not Bethlehem. But where did he go? Judea, to Judea, which is from the tribe of what? Judah. You see it yet? He went to Judea. To the city of where? David. You see it yet? This is a cool scripture, y'all. I mean, we, we read it all the time, but we miss the moments. Let's not miss the moments today. Let's, let's take the ride for a second. Let's soak it in for a moment. This is an amazing moment of who Jesus is. This is his yearbook. And here it goes. Let's really make this trip. Out of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and family in the line of David. To be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger. Because there was no room available for them in the inn. 
Do you feel it yet? <laughs> he shouldn't have been born in Bethlehem. He should have been born in Nazareth. That wasn't his story. That wasn't the way God wrote it. Mary had no idea of this movement. The angel didn't say, you're going to become great with child, and the Spirit of God is going to come upon you, and, and God the Most High is going to overshadow you, and then you're going to make a trip to Bethlehem. That's not what he told her. Whose idea was it to do the registration? Was it Quirinius? Was it Syria? No. It was God writing Jesus' story. Because Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem. So how could he get Joseph and Mary to go to Bethlehem? Make a move. At the worst time, while she's pregnant. This wouldn't have been an easy journey. This would have been an awful journey. Much less while you're pregnant. God was writing a story. So Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem due to Joseph being from the line of David. The most amazing thing about Jesus' story is this. It should be yours. Jesus came to save people from themselves, from the sickness we call sin, from an enemy that only wants to steal, kill, and destroy from us. And he sent himself. <laughs> he could have sent anything, but he sent himself. And he died for us. And he rose for us. And he lives for us. That we could have relationship with him. Jesus' story should be your story. You can't be Jesus, but he should be in you. That day, sending Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem, Everybody there had to be from royal line. Can you imagine that? A whole city full of people from the royal line, no longer seated on a throne. And they were there to be counted. That's not why they were there. How inconvenient for all the rest of them. Because it wasn't about them, it wasn't about being counted, it wasn't about being taxed. They would be. They were about to see the Messiah. And how many of them missed it? It was busy. Cities bustling with people, people selling stuff, people buying stuff. Uh, they probably had to stand in lines in places. You can just imagine the crowds. <laughs> you can imagine people packed into small homes with all their family members there, not wanting them to be there, they're there anyway. I mean, it, the crowds must have been crazy, back-to-back -back traffic on the streets with donkeys and such. I'm sure you could probably hear songs being sung in the distance. All the vendors were angry. I mean, yeah, they were getting business, but the people weren't very happy. They're there to go. I've got to buy something for my kids. How much is it? Would you like that wrapped, sir? No, just let me buy it and get out of here. Person behind them, why is this taking so long? I've got things to do. I've got to go home and cook. All the family's coming in. Sounds a lot like Christmas, doesn't it? Towns full of people. People packed into homes, songs in the distance, grumpy people in line, vendors selling out of stuff. I mean, we're there. Will we also miss the Savior this season? Will we simply just allow the season to go by and call it another good Christmas where you didn't go into too much debt and your families didn't alienate you so much you don't want to go back? Or will you really focus on God with us? That's Christmas. The wonder that we can embrace today is this. 
God loved you so much. He sent Jesus so that you wouldn't just go through life, that you would have life in abundance and everlasting. The key is this. At some point in your life, you're going to have to lay your sin at a cross. It's going to happen one of two ways. You can lay it at a cross one day that's at a burial site. <laughs> and that sin will keep you always from a holy God. And a lot of people will do that. They'll take their sin with them to the grave only to find out it keeps going for eternity. Or today you can lay your sin at the cross of Jesus. And it will stay there and be vanquished. The most amazing thing is this. At the end of our earthly lives, we keep going. The question is, where are you going to go? A lot of people don't like the Bible. Because the Bible says this. Either we give our lives to Jesus Christ. We completely fall into him. We repent of our sin and allow him to be the Lord of our lives. Or we choose the own lordship of our lives. And that destiny has a place called hell. You're going to hear preachers say that that's fictional. Their faith is fictional. Don't believe that. Hell is a place. It is a place where God puts sin. And those without Jesus are bathed in sin. It's a choice. People will say, well, how can God be good if he sends people to hell? He doesn't. We do. We send ourselves there. We punch our own ticket. We make our own choice. He made a way so that we never have to taste hell. He made a way that we could be eternally with him in a place called heaven through the life of Jesus Christ. We have no excuse. There is a way. It's Jesus. Christmas is the middle act of an amazing story of who Jesus is that has not finished and will never finish. It's eternal. And the question is this, are you going to be a part of Jesus' story? If not, I know your end. And it's an eternal end. It's an eternal separation from God. You may have heard that hell is a place with fire and brimstone and hot and burning. To me, all that's so secondary to a lack of Jesus being there. We don't get that today. Even those of us that are outside of Jesus' lordship, we live in a world that's controlled by the very nature of who God is. We get life and breath and days. In hell, we're separated from his love, his compassion. That's a place that he does not intend for you to go. So he sent you Jesus, the greatest gift he's ever done. And today is your opportunity to open that gift or leave it alone. Today I want to end with this thought. Now is the time to quit wavering between two opinions. Elijah is a prophet. He's called the people of Baal all together on the top of this mountain. And he doesn't talk to them first when he says something. He turns to the people of Israel. And he tells them, quit wavering in your opinions. If Baal is God, trust in him with all you've got. Quit wavering. But if God is God, quit going back to these foreign thoughts. Pursue him with all you have. Revelation tells us this, that because we're neither hot or cold, but because we're lukewarm, God will spit us out of his mouth. It is time to quit wavering. Either foreign gods and yourself will save you, go after it. And that may sound awful from a pulpit, but I've got to tell you, Jesus is not pleased with halfway Christianity. There is no such thing. There is no cultural Christianity that saves people, period. Because you're American, you will not go to heaven. Either Jesus is the way or he's not. Either Jesus is who saves us or he's not. And today, you have to make a decision. 
It's time to quit wavering. It is time to trust if he is really who he says he is. And if the Bible is true, and I believe it is, and there's 300 prophecies he absolutely has to fulfill, and it's one in a trillion to the 16th power that he could do it, and he did it, I believe he is who he says he is. And because of that, I gave him my life, and you should too quit wavering. Quit waiting. Today is your day. Today is your day to know him. Quit wavering. Quit waiting. Today is your day. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would just speak over us today. God, I pray that you would speak into our hearts and, Lord, into our minds. Lord, that you would speak over my friends in this room. Lord, the Bible clearly shows that Jesus is who he says he is. Lord, we live in a world that simply says, well, how can we know? We can know because the Bible shows us so. Lord, it defends itself. We don't have to give it defense. Lord, Jesus defends himself. We don't have to give him defense. Lord, so because of that, we can absolutely believe he is who he says he is. So, Lord, today we say we believe you are the truth. So because of that, we give you our lives. Lord, we give you our everything. Lord, we bring our sin even though it's nothing. We bring our good even though it can't add up. We bring our best, and it's not even good enough. But, Lord, we bring you everything we have, and we declare the best we can do is worthless. But with you, you can use us to do mighty things in your name. Lord, I pray for my friends in this room that have never made a decision to follow after you as the Lord of their life. Lord, today that ends. Lord, today that's over with. They want to give you their everything. And God, I pray that you would push away the enemy that wants to say, there's another day, just wait. There's another time, it'll happen. Lord, today is their day. Now is their time. Lord, speak over their hearts. Lord, lead them now. No more waiting, no more wavering. Lord, Jesus is the truth, and we believe he is who he says he is. So, Lord, thank you that you sent yourself amongst us to experience everything that we've experienced. Lord, so that you could be a Savior who really knows us. So, God, we give you our everything in return. No more wavering. No more waiting. Lord, be the Lord of our lives. Lord, forgive us our sins. Help us to repent and never return. God, may you win our lives this morning like you always have. Speak over us now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.